0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: I have been presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of prayer, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that there really is no way that I can speak about the subject of prayer from a detailed point of view. There's no way that I can really address this subject in detail by telling you this is how you pray, this is how you don't pray, these are things to pray about and these are things that are not to pray about, this is how you get your prayers answered and this is how you don't get your prayers answered. There's no way that I can really do that because prayer is an individual experience that everyone has personally with their God. And so there's no way that I can really address this from a specific point of view. I can only address this subject from a general point of view. And so today I thought that I would address some common passages that come up when people are considering the subject of prayer and just address some of the fine points that are in these passages to perhaps give you some greater insight into this subject. I'd like to begin with John chapter 14 verses 11 through 17. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 11, the Lord Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so when people read this passage, they think, well my goodness, look at this, the Lord Jesus has said that whatever we ask of Him, whatever I ask, He will do it. And so we'll sit down with our extremely long list of things that we would like Him to do, and we start asking Him, and asking Him, and asking Him, would you do this, would you do this, would you do this? And in many cases, a person's prayer life is described in this way, that a person will sit down with their list of things to pray for, and they pray to their Father in the name of Jesus, assuming that whatever they ask, they will get. Whatever they ask the Lord to do for them, He will certainly do. And I understand that because when you look at this passage, it's very easy to make that assumption. And so people start asking for new cars and they start asking for jobs and they start asking for other kinds of blessings in their life. They start looking for a spouse or they'll ask for a house. They'll ask for all kinds of things, expecting that the Lord is going to give them exactly what they were asking for. But it's important to read this and understand what he was referring to in the context of the passage that this is described in. It's very important to see that, and that's why I started out in a few verses above to at least establish some better context. What the Lord Jesus is saying is that we are to believe him, and if we're not going to believe in him, then we should at least believe in him on the basis of the works that he is performing. The works that he was performing in his ministry were some very powerful and very profound works. They were definitely very important works, and they all had a very distinct purpose. But there were some incredible things that he was doing. He was raising people from the dead. He was healing people of sicknesses and diseases and infirmities that they quite likely would have never been healed from in any other way. The Lord Jesus was performing many miracles, many miracles that are without question miracles of God. He was encouraging people to believe in him if not for what he was saying, if not for the truth that was being conveyed by him. Or if not for the basis of the truth of the scriptures, would they at least consider the works that he was performing and allow them to be a testimony to the truth of what he was saying, to the truth of who he really was, who he really is, and that people would subsequently believe in him, at least because of that, which is obviously not the best way or the best reason to believe in him, but it certainly is a start. At least it is something. But then he says something very, very interesting, and that is found in verse 12. Where he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. If this is true, then what would be the works that would be performed? Should we expect to heal lepers? Should we expect to raise people from the dead? Should we expect to do many of the other miracles that the Lord Jesus was performing? Should we expect these things? Should we be doing these things on this basis? He says that we would be doing the similar works and yet greater works than he was doing. Can you imagine that of all the incredible works that the Lord Jesus was able to do, that he was doing, that the Heavenly Father was doing within and through him? Could you imagine any other greater works that could be performed beyond that? Well, we do know that through the history of the church, there are many examples, many testimonies that have been conveyed of people of God, people who are Christians, born-again believers, who do live a life of dependency on the Lord Jesus. There are many testimonies and many examples where many phenomenal works have been performed, many things have been done, many of which are similar to what the Lord Jesus had done when he was here doing his ministry on earth. And so we have examples that we could look to, that we could examine in order to give evidence that this is a prophecy that the Lord Jesus gave and certainly has been fulfilled. But what about the greater works? What would these greater works be? How could we identify them? How would we describe them? What would they be like? Well, in short, I sincerely believe that the greater works that he was referring to are definitely the works, the issues, the miracles that have to do with the transformation of a person, the transformation and change that occurs within a person, within our hearts, within our very being, within our character. These are greater works, because when the Lord Jesus was performing his ministry, when the Lord Jesus was walking on this earth and he was preaching and teaching and guiding and leading people, there was no opportunity, really, for people to experience a transformation of who they were on the basis of their relationship with God, because for this to occur, it is mandatory, it is absolutely necessary for a person to be born again of the Spirit, It's necessary for you to be resurrected from the dead, resurrected from among the dead here on earth, those who are born into this world spiritually dead without the Spirit of God and dwelling within them. It is necessary for you to be completely born again, born anew, born from above, born of God, so that you can begin to live a new life from being born again Not just being born into this world from your parents, but being born anew from the very Spirit of God. It is then that you will experience a relationship with your God, and through that relationship that you encounter and that you experience, there is an opportunity for a dramatic transformation and change within you. To the extent where many of the pains and sufferings that we encounter, that we, that we get in our life experience, that we receive from other people or from our own sin or from our own poor choices in life, generally from our own sin or from other people's sin, there is an opportunity for us to experience an incredible healing in our lives that those before the Lord Jesus could have never experienced before the Lord Jesus rose from the dead they could have never really experienced the kind of healing the kinds of miracles that we are able to experience now in the very depths of our being those are greater works it is impressive it would be very impressive for me to go into a hospital and heal everybody in the hospital and resurrect people from the dead who are in the morgue, that would be impressive. There's no question about that whatsoever. I certainly would not deny that. And if the Lord God directed me in such a way and he worked through me in such a way, I would consider that to be a very profound miracle. But that is nothing absolutely nothing. It is useless. It is empty. It is completely worthless in comparison with the incredible transformation of someone who is saved, someone who trusts and believes in the Lord Jesus and is born again of the Spirit. Those things are nothing in comparison with the transformation of a person who is resurrected through the restoration of the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam so that they can live eternally in the presence of their God and experience a relationship with him eternally throughout the rest of eternity. There is no comparison to that, and I certainly do not want to minimize that in any way whatsoever. And so when I'm able to convey the truth of God to someone to the extent where they are able to receive it, and the Holy Spirit testifies within them that such that has been said is definitely true, and this sets them free from the bondage that they have been bound in for who knows how long, when they experience the freedom from this and the subsequent Transformation that a person will experience as they live in accordance with this truth, that is a greater miracle. That is a miracle that cannot be compared with. There is no comparison for that kind of a miracle. It is something that only God Himself can do. Regardless of what I do or what anybody else does, that is the kind of miracle that He does, and the only thing that is left for us is to be thankful for the privilege of being involved with Him to be participants so that he could use us in such a way that someone else's life could be transformed and changed to the extent where they will experience an individual personal relationship with Him, not necessarily with us. That's, that's the important thing to understand, is that, is that this is about people growing in their God, not growing in somebody else. Regardless of who does the miracle, how it's done, in what way, what they believe, what they don't believe, how much sin is in their life, how much sin is not in their life, those things do not matter in comparison with the importance of understanding that the living God is actively participating in our lives. When we live a life of dependency and trust in Him, and we are attentive to Him, He is going to guide us and lead us, which means that He is going to put these things on our hearts He is going to prepare the works for us to walk in. These are things that he does as an active participant in our lives. And when these things occur, we are going to ask things of him in his name on the basis of what he has done for us, which is really what that means. In his name means on the basis of what he has already done, on the basis of his promises. He will do it. Well, that's because these are things that he wants to do, these are things that he is going to do, and most importantly, these are things that he has inspired us to ask of him to be involved in his incredible work, to be involved in the miracles that he is now doing, which are much greater than the miracles that he was able to perform when he was personally on this earth. Now and today, he is able to live within his body, the body of believers, as opposed to the body of Christ in the sense of the flesh that he had around him that he was walking with on this earth when he was doing his ministry, now he lives within his people and he is able to expand and multiply and be actively involved in a greater way than what he was able to do when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. There is a significant difference. And so I sincerely believe that that's what he was referring to here in John chapter 14 verses 11 through 17 is that it's not a blanket statement that says, whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. There are some issues relative to this, and they have to do with understanding that he is actively participating, he is a dynamic God, and he is doing works that are much greater than the works of the flesh that he was doing before. And I mean that in the sense of the miracles that he was performing were addressing mainly the needs of people's flesh. But those things of their heart, of their spirit, of their inner being, are things that he was able to address and he was able to work with after he rose from the dead. Let me consider another passage. Consider 1 John chapter 5 Verses 12 through 15. This is another good passage written by the Apostle John. Beginning in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he says, "...he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him." that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, people will look at this and they will say, well, this means that as long as we ask according to his desire, as long as we ask things that we know he wants, we know that he desires, then he's going to do that. And so the solution for your ineffective prayer life is what a lot of people will will describe it as, and I certainly don't believe that anybody's prayer life is ineffective, that certainly isn't the issue. But people will describe it that way, and this is very unfortunate and very deceptive in a lot of ways, I sincerely believe. But what people are saying is that, well, as long as we pray according to his will, or if we pray something and we're not certain as to whether or not it really is in his will or in his desire is what they mean by that, or whether he wants to do that, or whether he intends on doing that, then as long as you end the prayer with something that sounds like only if this be your will, well, then you should be okay, because we don't want to have the risk of asking for something that he doesn't want, because if we do that, then he might give us what it is that we're asking for, and the results could be catastrophic. There are a lot of people that teach that, and there are a lot of people who believe that, and it's really unfortunate. I really don't see that personally at all, but that's what people do believe, and so I wanted to at least give the opportunity to convey that and let you know that that does exist, that that is a perspective that people have. But the most important thing I believe to understand is that in this passage in scripture, 1 John chapter 5 verses 12 through 15, it's not talking about that at all. It's not talking about his desire in the context of his will. What he's talking about here is he's talking about life. He's talking about the life of God. He's talking about salvation. This is the life of God that is to be restored to humanity, that humanity lost in the Garden of Eden when we sinned by eating from the wrong tree and spiritually dying. I believe that that's what this refers to. This refers to the subject of salvation. And so if we are to understand that, then we can read this in that context and see that this has to do mainly with salvation. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him, and this is assuming that this is according to his will, beginning in verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, in the context of life and in the context of salvation, I personally would not choose the definition of will in this sense, in the context of desire, that if we ask anything according to what he wants... I personally believe that a correct interpretation of this is accordance with his will of salvation, in accordance with the description of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, not his desire, but his will in the sense of a description of an inheritance, that we are to live in accordance with what he has given to us already, not in accordance with what we hope to obtain. And so we are to be preoccupied with, instead of trying to obtain things from our God, making petitions in terms of and in context of what we have already received, to grow more in our understanding, knowledge, wisdom, to grow more in our understanding of what we already have. And so when we ask things according to his will, we are asking for greater insight into what we already have, not asking for things that we don't have that we are hoping that we might be able to get from him. That's a big distinction. That's a major distinction. A lot of people are really focused on this. They don't understand that they have already received everything that they need for life and godliness and prayer is the primary subject that is presented that is used in order to distract people and in order to deceive people yes that is the correct word to apply here people use the subject of prayer to deceive people from the truth that they have already received everything that they truly need for example in second peter chapter 1 verse 3 this is second peter chapter 1 verse 3 as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue that you have already received, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so this leads us to the most important question then when we're dealing with the subject of prayer. What do we pray for? Why are we praying? Well, I sincerely believe that that's the wrong question because that question makes several assumptions. It makes the primary assumption, as well as many other assumptions, that the purpose of prayer is to ask God for things. That's what it is. That's our opportunity to ask him for a bunch of things. And I just do not see that as prayer at all. Prayer, to me, is an opportunity to have a personal conversation with your God, to speak with someone who is your best friend, to not just be so preoccupied with simply asking him for things, oh, gimme, 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 that is not what prayer is about, as far as I can tell in the scriptures. Prayer is not about asking for this or asking for that. Prayer is about experiencing direct communication with your Creator, And certainly, I don't want to discourage you from asking him for things. I ask things of my God all the time. That's not what I mean by that. What I mean is is that don't exclude the most important aspect of this, and that is to communicate with your God, to speak with him, and to listen to him, to hear what it would be that he has to share with you. That is what prayer is about. When you go before him and you recognize that you have received already everything that you need for life and godliness. You don't go before your God asking him for additional things for life and godliness. You ask him for insights. You ask him for understandings. You ask Him for direction. You ask Him to show you what you already have. And that is a major paradigm shift in prayer. That is a major change. And this is why I am bringing up this subject, is because a lot of people, when they start to understand what they have already received in Christ, they ask me about this, well, then how do I pray? What do I pray for? Well, there really is only one thing you have left, if you consider it in this context, and that is to be thankful to actually have a time of thanksgiving, to have a time of thankfulness where you take the opportunity to thank God for what He has already given to you, to thank Him for what He has already done for you. There is a big difference in between spending all of your time asking him to do things for you and being thankful for what he has already done for you. There is a major difference, and this is something that is completely ignored in just about every circle of influence that I know of that is devoted to the subject of prayer or considers it to be an important subject enough where they emphasize it quite regularly within their meetings, within their discussions, within what they do and what they teach and how they live. This is an important issue. Consider another passage, and that is John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. This is John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Well, people will look at a passage such as this, and there are many passages in the scriptures that are describing prayer in this context, that you just ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. And it's assumed that we just need to then be believing Him more, we need to trust that He's going to give us what we want more, that the problem is not necessarily our desires, but the problem is how we approach God in prayer. But that is definitely not the reality. The reality is, is that our desires, especially before we come to know the Lord, are wicked and evil and sinful, and who could know the depths of the horridness of our desires? Our desires are definitely not of God. Trust me on this. If you don't believe me, then maybe ask somebody else if some specific desire that you have is that of God or is that not of God, before you come to know the Lord, that is. After you come to know the Lord, many of these desires still carry over because there is a time of change. There is a time of transformation that happens within a person as we grow in our relationship with God. And this is not something that just happens overnight. This is something that happens as we mature in our faith, where our desires will change. I can say this quite honestly, that back before I knew the Lord, in my days of being lost and sinful and wicked and evil, I had certain desires. And today, while many of those desires do come up within me every once in a while, and I do struggle with them, and I am tempted just like any other person is tempted, I understand that, and I'm not going to deny the truth of it, but the reality is is that there are a lot of desires that I had previously that I do not have now that my desires have changed significantly, and regardless of the magnitude of those desires, just the fact that there is a change of some kind, to me, is an absolute miracle of God. It is one of the greatest miracles that I have ever experienced. To know and experience that a desire that I once had is a desire that I no longer have because of my relationship with my God. That is a dramatic change. And so it is my desires that are transformed. He doesn't give me the desires of my heart in the sense of I have desires and He's going to meet them or I have needs and He's going to meet them in the way that I want Him to meet them. He means that I sincerely believe as He's going to give me new desires. He's going to give you new desires. He's not going to just fulfill your desires, he's going to change your desires. He's going to give you the desires of your heart as you abide and trust and rely on him. That is what this is referring to. When people look at these passages, it's too easy, it's very easy to misunderstand what he's communicating and run with this, and then it leads to all kinds of confusion, especially when people are not getting the desires that they they have in their hearts met by God, and many of these desires are considered to be legitimate desires that you would assume that God would definitely want, but that is not what this is referring to. This is about transforming a person, about him giving us new desires. That's the change. That's the dramatic shift. You must understand and you must admit and recognize that you need to be transformed. You're not basically a good person. You are basically an evil and wicked person. And you need to be transformed and changed by your creator. That is what this relationship that you have at your disposal is mainly for, is mainly about. This is the experience that we have with our living God, a living experience as we live our lives. That's what prayer should mainly be about. It should be a focus on dependency and trust in our Creator.